This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment. The conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. Welcome to Just the Right Book uh, Shorts. Uh, on these shorter episodes, Bill Goldstein and I talk about a handful of books and some other things that we think might be of note in the literary reading world. Bill, for those of you who don't know, is a book reviewer for NBC. He's an essayist. He's an author working on a biography of Larry Kramer. He's a great reader. He's a friend. And uh, I'm just delighted that Bill is game to come on and talk books. So welcome, Bill. Thank you very much, Roxanne. I'm I'm so happy to be back here doing this and uh, look forward. What are you reading? What well, are you loving? Uh, the book I wanted to talk about, it, it sort of follows almost from what we were talking about the last time, uh, which is King a Life, a biography of Martin Luther King, which is by Jonathan Eig, who also wrote biographies, a biography of Muhammad Ali. And this is like like the Hoover book that you talked about last week. It is, I don't want to say a completely new Martin Luther King, but a renewed Martin Luther mm. King, because Jonathan Eig has had access to a great deal of new material that one is FBI surveillance records that have only recently become available. And in addition, he has done so much work in the archives. And uh, one of the things that I found most fascinating, uh, since I'm writing a biography too, is that he's used earlier biographers' research, I mean, that is now itself in archives. So he found the, the original tapes, for example, that Coretta Scott King recorded when she published her autobiography in the 60s or early 70s. I forget exactly when it was. And he's used other interview transcripts that other biographers use now of you know people who are long dead. And so he's crafted this fantastically interesting narrative of Martin Luther King's life, flaws and all. I mean, it doesn't pull any punches, but it also was in the news quite a bit just before its publication, because what he was able to find is that Alex Haley, who wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X, seems to have sort of ginned up, fabricated mm. um, some phrases of, of Malcolm X's that were more critical of Martin Luther King than then there is evidence that he really said. And so, so that was in the newspaper. But he has done this book so beautifully, both, I think, from the level of nitty-gritty detail to the larger historical context. And if people are at all intrigued by this book, as I think they should be, maybe think of it as a Father's Day gift or just for summer reading, because it's a beautiful book uh, to sort of immerse yourself in for the summer, I think. Just go to RJ Julia or another bookstore and look at the short chapters that he's written. Two short chapters. Another independent bookstore. Yes, another independent bookstore, RJ Julia or its counterparts, not that there are any. Exactly. It, it, none, none, none 
that are equal to it. But um, because if you look at the chapters about the I have a dream speech, I think you'll see how he is able to pull together all of the new sources to tell that story. And then that's a microcosm of the whole book in a fresh new way. And um, the detail that really stood out to me is the fact that he gives this speech. It was 60 years ago this summer, by the way. It was 60 years ago mm. in August. And there are 10 speakers at the March on Washington in August of 1963. And there are 10 of them. And basically, King ends up speaking last, not by any plan, but because nobody wants to speak after him. And mm. you get that kind of nitty gritty detail. And then you, he tells the story of how this speech came to be. He, uh, Martin Luther King diverges from his printed text to really soar beyond what he had planned to say about I have a dream. And it really, those two short chapters, as I say, are a taste of all that is new in this book and why it is so readable and so important. Mm. Go to RJ Julia and just start those two chapters and I know you'll come away buying the book. Great. Billy, you know, the other thing is, because I've been, I have not read the book, but I saw an interview of him on PBS. And speaking of that, you know, Jeff Benedict, is that his name? He's the new PBS co-host. Mm -hmm. He is a really good interviewer. He does a really nice job on these interviews. I think I have his name correctly. But one of the things that I have been struck by in reading the reviews is I think I had forgotten how young Martin Luther King was when he was assassinated, mm -hmm. because I think of him as such a large, impactful person. And you think about how young Malcolm X was and how young Martin Luther King was. He was 39 when he was yeah, assassinated. I know. And of course, one of the other sort of changes in the the context of his life and his posthumous life is he was much more political and not always to everyone's liking right. at the time. And he was not just a, a man of soaring rhetoric, but that's somewhat lost in in the oversimplification somehow of how we you know look and think about Martin Luther King and the the civil rights movement, you know, the struggle that it was and remains. So along the lines of impact and change, the other day I was reading the newspaper or a magazine, you know, it's pathetic that I don't remember where I read this, but <laughs> there was a observation by Luis Rodriguez. And Luis Rodriguez is a Latin American. He's a poet. He's an author of this book that I'm going to talk about, Always Running. And Always Running, which I read decades ago, I think it came out in 1993, mm -hmm. um, is one of those books, and I use this phrase when I think about these kind of books, who rearranged my brain. <laughs> and so he grew up in California in the 60s and 70s. And, and I'll read this paragraph. This is his memoir. And it's about how he ended up joining a gang and how he then came out of 
this kind of violence and disregard by the world. Mm -hmm. So he says, what do we do with those whom society cannot accommodate? Criminalize them, outlaw their actions and creations, declare them the enemy, then wage war. Emphasize the differences, the shade of skin, the accent in the speech or manner of clothes, like the scapegoat of the Bible. Place society's ills on them, then stone them in absolution. It's convenient. It's logical. It doesn't work. Mm. And Luis Rodriguez in this book talks about you are so in the reality of what life can be like for a low-income Latino immigrant, these young kids, like by eight or nine, were treated as not being, uh, of being sort of a human inferior being. You know, so think about it. You got an eight or a nine-year-old boy being treated as if he doesn't matter. So who does he think matters? then maybe you don't matter. Maybe nobody matters. Maybe we're all discardable. And I've said this for decades since I read read the book. This book should be required reading, not only for every kid, but for every adult. Because Luis Rodriguez's being a poet infuses this book with a kind of humanity. You, you know, this sort of cliched walk in their shoes. Well, we're not going to walk in the shoes of a young Latino poor man who gets seduced, understandably, into being part of a gang, to be part of anything, to be part of anything. So I just, I was reminded that I consider this book one of the top reads of my life in the sense that it educated me in a way that rewired my brain. I mean, it just, it infuses how I think. It makes me more empathetic, but it also reminds us of our sort of civic duty to be engaged in these issues. So I'm sorry if I've gone on about this book. I obviously love it. It's called Always Running by Luis Rodriguez. All right, Billy, your book. Thank you. So the the next book that I wanted to talk about is, I think, a perfect summer book because it's set during the summer and it is called The Guest by Emma Klein. I know that you're also enthusiastic about this, so I, I don't know that we'll have a debate about it, but maybe we have uh, very different perspectives on it. I'm it's- just thinking of the weird uh, juxtaposition Billy, of <laughs> always running to the guest. Because it's just so that we lay the landscape for our listeners. Yes. Always, this- the guest is about 180. Uh, it, it talks about a world that's 180 from always running. So I don't want listeners to think that we are oblivious to the <laughs> oxymoronic juxtaposition of always running to the guest. Yes, exactly. That's that's a very good way of putting it. We we encompass 
all universes on this podcast, and this could not be further from it. This is a novel by Emma Klein, who wrote The Girls, uh, which I was shocked. I mean, time passes so quickly. And of course, the pandemic changed all our sense of time anyway. But The Girls, which was about the girls of the Manson cult and was a, a big success, was published. That was her first novel. It was published in 2016. I couldn't believe that it had been seven years ago. But The Guest is, as you said, set in a completely different world. It's set in the Hamptons in the summer. And it's about a young woman who is, I mean, basically, I suppose, uh, well, certainly a hanger on. Uh, I mean, not not quite a call girl, but I think she's done some of that also. She's 22, I think. And she makes her way into New York and she makes her way into the Hamptons by a relationship with an older, wealthy man who, because she's just sort of adrift, adrift, swanning around town and on the edge of penury, really. And then he invites her to spend the summer in his house in the Hamptons. But it is not a pretty picture either of the Hamptons or of this sketchy mm young woman who has been asked, we're not quite sure why, to leave the roommate situation that she's been in. And I read this book so quickly and Me too. so avidly, and yet with this incredible feeling of dread. I mean, it was it's a yeah. dreadful book in the best possible way because you can't stop turning pages, although you dread, you dread what you're reading about now and you dread where it's going to go later. And I tried to figure out, like, what is this feeling that I'm having that that is so unnerving and yet so fulfilling as you're reading this book? Uh, and it reminded me a little of Otessa Moshfe's The Year of Rest and Relaxation, mm -hmm. not because of anything with, to do with the plot, but because of the narrative tone of it and the feeling that we're getting this little slice of this strange woman's life and yet nothing is going well here and we think it's going to get worse. So it reminded me of the year of rest and relaxation, just in that feeling it conjured on the page. And also, I don't know if you've ever watched the TV show, The Flight Attendant, which is based on a novel by Chris Bojalian, that's a fabulous book. And now it's in, it was in its second season. So it went beyond the book, but that same feeling of dread every episode, like, why is this woman doing this? Why are we getting into these situations? Why are we following this? Why am I reading this book? Why am I watching this TV show? I'm too unhappy and yet I'm thrilled. So, well, uh, Bill, yes. here's something I thought about with the book because the character's name is Alex. And so in one way, you might think of her as a schemer, you know, a person who's figuring out how to ingratiate herself to the richest possible person to attach herself to. But scheming involves the future. And I think the thing about this character that was interesting to me and made, I had the same sense of dread, this is not going to go well, is, <laughs> you know, we don't know how she got to be this way. We don't know anything about her past. She's just in the moment. But it made me realize, but because she only lives in the moment, in this kind of immediate need, 
there's kind of a haplessness about her because she's not really thinking about the ramifications. Like she does a couple of things like this and I'm almost yelling at the book. I'm almost yelling at her. Like, Alex, what are you doing? Don't you realize that that's a bad move? And I think the only explanation, and I think Emma Klein did this really very cleverly, is this is a woman thinking about this moment. And so she's going to make a decision, but you know, like when she's on the beach, she's got nowhere to go that night. So she's got to figure something out. So she knows where she's going to land. So it's a great slice of life about a human that actually is desperate. Yes. But is, is covering up the desperate with this kind of bone vivant, attractive, you know, seductiveness. Anyway, it's a perfect beach read. Yes. She's she's a schemer. You made me realize she's a schemer, but she's not a very smart or No, she's not clever schemer. about the scheming. <laughs> no, there's nothing clever about her scheming at all. Just one thing, like you say, we don't know anything about her and, you know, before. And I, I realized as you were saying that that's what's so brilliant about this book, that if much, if any more were really filled in, then we... Then it would ruin it. Understand more about how she got here and why isn't she thoughtful or what other mistakes she made. I love that from what you said, it made me realize, oh, it's better without that underpinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Billy, one of the things we've done a couple of times is talk about the bestseller list. And so, again, you know, I think we've talked about this before. A lot of the books on the bestseller list are uh, by Colleen Hoover, who's a wildly popular uh, romance writer. There's another romance writer who's popped up, which is Emily Henry. Mm. But one of the books that just went on the bestseller list is The Covenant of Water by Abraham Vergesi. And I haven't, I've only read a little bit of it, but I want to mention in passing that his previous book, Cutting for Stone, is one of the most perfect novels I've ever read. We won't talk about it beyond that because we don't have time, but I'm just going to let everybody know they ought to read Cutting for Stone. And what I'd like to uh, close with is I want to thank everybody. We have really gotten a bunch of emails, and I like to, you know, I don't know whether the people who write to us are motivated to write to us because they like us, so they don't really represent our listeners. (laughs) You know, they're a self-selecting group. But we got a letter uh, from a woman by the name of Teresa M. I'm not going to give her whole name. And I'm going to read this because, you know, it's like fun to hear some good news. Right, Billy? (laughs) Uh, She just listened to the April 27th short podcast on her walk. She's listened to all the others. I'm not going to be very helpful in critiquing how you should do this because I just love all caps. Uh, Listening to the two of you talk about books, the format doesn't matter. I love your enthusiasm, your honesty, your fun, and your passion. I come home after my walks. I listen to it on my walk. 
and I write down all the books you've talked about. They may not be the genre I usually read, but you make them all sound like ones I want to read. And then if I didn't love her enough, she said, after listening to all of these, I finally bit the bullet and signed up for the Just the Right Book personalized book subscription. And I get my first book on Monday and I can't wait. So thank you, Teresa. And it's a reminder, please write to us at podcast at rjjulia.com. We do read them. We do listen to your suggestions and we certainly appreciate them. So Billy, thanks so much for taking the time for us to talk books. Well, thank you, Roxanne. And thank you, Teresa. Yeah, really. Billy had mentioned we were talking before the show that we're going to have to get in touch with Teresa and buy her coffee. And it won't count as a bribe because she already wrote a nice thing. Maybe we'll even buy her ice cream. If if only Alex and the guest were as smart a schemer as you. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Billy. Bye. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Gino Cardone at Pleasant Podcast. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I am Roxanne Cody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any comments, observations, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at justtherightbook at rjjulia.com.